There we go. What's up, everybody? It's Jason Martinez. There's Anthony DeMarco coming to us from across the border. Welcome to Stick to Hockey Live Season 3, Episode 1. What's going on, Ant? Have a good off-season, brother? Good to be back, honestly. It went by too fast, not going to lie. I liked my time being uh, plugged or unplugged, rather. But obviously, the season is, what, less than a week away at this point or a week Nine away days. exactly? So how long? Nine days. Nine days. So Thursday of next week, right after mm-hmm. Canadian Thanksgiving, which we have coming go. this weekend. So, uh, yeah, it's an exciting time for sure. Yeah, it looks like you didn't finish. You didn't make a trip to the barber at all summer. You got a lot of... <laughs> The lettuce is out of control. Yeah, no, it's uh, the longest I've had it probably since I was 13, 14. I haven't cut it since May. I cut wow. it right before my buddy's wedding. Uh, the wife is starting to get a bit fed up, but honestly, I've gotten some Bradley Cooper comparisons. So I wow. don't know if it's quite time. I don't know. And I got, and this is no insult to you, my man, but at my age, pushing up 30. And some guys starting to get the little toilet bowl going in the middle. It's kind of a flex when you have a lettuce like uh, as thick as mine. So that's part yeah. of the reason why I'm letting it grow out right now. Look, dude, if I had it, I'd be I'd be flowing. I don't, so I don't. <laughs> <laughs> um, there's a ton to get to, obviously, in this episode. We haven't done an episode, geez, I don't think since since like around May. Um, and and we're back now. Um, There's going to be a ton to get to. We do have some fresh news. We're going to get to a bunch of Twitter questions as well. But just off the hop real quick, I just want to say I I got no less than 60 either emails, DMs, tweets over the past two weeks since Cam started. When's Stick to Hockey coming back? When's Stick to Hockey live? I know you were probably getting them too. And, you know, I just wasn't responding. I wasn't sure what form, you know, things, what we're going to do, when we're going to do it. We're still a lot up in the air, but. Um, we figured let's get back on, let's, let's get things going here and we'll figure out all the logistics at the right time. But thanks to everybody for shooting notes to us and, and, uh, wanting this, this podcast or this live show, whatever the hell you call it, um, back. We appreciate it greatly. And it's going to be a great season. And there's a lot of really intriguing storylines to follow, not only in camp, but I think there will be through the season as well, but Flyers did take care of some business today. And, uh, we saw Chris Johnston first report it and the Flyers have now sent out, the following and says, uh, this is an update from general manager, Daniel Briere, that the flyers play forward Tanner Lazinski and goaltender Cal Peterson on regular waivers. I think our presumption is that both players are going to clear and they will be assigned to the uh, AHL phantoms. Yeah. I mean, very unsurprising news today. I think it was kind of set in stone, even before camp started that it was going to be an uphill battle for both of these guys to make the team. Although I guess maybe you could have considered both fringe, But with the signing of Ryan Paling and that fourth line seemingly being set in stone from the onset here, didn't seem like Tanner Lezinski had that much of a hope of making the team. Cal Peterson obviously did have a slight chance, but as we talked about before we recorded, started recording here, is that his contract basically makes him, you know, waiver exempt in a lot of ways. And I think that if it wasn't for the term and the money owed on that contract, you would maybe see him get claimed by, let's say, Colorado Avalanche, who are dealing with some injuries between the pipes, the the injury to Andre Vasilevsky in Tampa Bay. But I think maybe we'll have to keep a closer eye if and when Felix Sandstrom does get put on waivers. But two guys that I think have a one-way ticket to Lehigh. Suppose there's an off chance that Tanner Luzinski gets claimed, you know, the one year left at sub $800,000. Maybe someone sees a chance to take on him as a fourth-line center. 
26 years old, I believe he is. But uh, aside from that, I don't think anyone is very surprised about these two uh, uh, waiver um, transactions. The, the thing you have to consider with claiming players on regular waivers is that they have to be on your NHL roster. You can't yeah. claim them and then send them to your AHL team, <laughs> you know? Yeah. So, so that's part of it. You know, if you're going to claim a guy, you better really have a place for him and a fit for him. Otherwise, you're kind of in a bad spot. Yeah. And the other thing is, is that in the case of Cal Peterson, like you would be absorbing the full two years and five, and $10 million owed on that contract, $5 million per season. So that's I think the, the Flyers, pill. pardon yeah. me? That's a poison pill. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, let's say Cal Peterson was making one year, $1 million. Let's say what Martin Jones signed for in Toronto. He probably gets claimed today. Yep. Wouldn't be surprised. But because it's a commitment all the way until the summer of 2025, I don't see him getting claimed. Yeah. In the case of Lazinski, I mean, is there a team that can maybe take a flyer on a guy who I guess has some untapped potential, but already 26 years old. Like I was speaking with someone of the flyers today and he referenced Lazinski and even Wade Allison as, yeah, they're not young guys anymore. So, I mean, it's not even like, oh, we'll take a, a flyer on a, you know, a young player with some untapped potential. Like, I don't know how much there really is left for a Tanner Lazinski. So, I mean, I'm trying to look at some teams, maybe with some roster space, maybe with contracts as far as that goes, maybe with some cap space as well. Could we see like the Chicago Blackhawks take a flyer on him, a Detroit Red Wings, like maybe, but I would be somewhat surprised if Tanner Lazinski doesn't make it through waivers. Yeah, and the other thing too is is he's dealt with a lot of injuries too. So if you're going to claim him, and he's got to be available, and I think that's part of the equation when when evaluating Lazinski, Allison to some extent as well. Um, let's talk about what we've seen the last couple of preseason games, and play the, the two Boston games. You know, the Flyers are two two and one through five preseason games. They've beaten Boston twice, and you know even though the game in Boston was you know as legit of an NHL roster to go against in Boston for them. But last night it was basically the, the Flyers three quarters against the Providence Bruins and the Flyers just dominated the puck the entire game. It was such low event hockey from Boston standpoint. I think Urson had to make two good saves. I don't even know how you can really evaluate the goaltending in that one. But, um, you know, what have you seen in these, in these last couple of preseason games that's really popped up other than just Bobby Brink? I mean, Brink's been unbelievable. Well, I, I think the one thing is, is how set in stone the fourth line has been from the onset here, like how they have clearly zeroed in on Ryan Paling, centering Nick Deloria and Garnet Hathaway as going to be the fourth line for this team, presumably for the entire season, barring injuries, and how that's really going to be a tone setter for this club. And I think last year you saw some guys in your bottom six, like a Zach McEwen, Tanner Lazinski, or even a, a Wade Allison at times that they really couldn't get some always some stability on that fourth line. And it looks like what they're going for here is responsible players, but also guys who can provide some jam as well. And the other part about it is, and obviously we've still seen Adam Ginning up in the lineup Ronnie Adderd scored a goal, or I think it actually got changed to Joel Farabee in the end, mm -hmm. but it feels as though we're starting to kind of see how this defense is going to shake out. Cam York, uh, Rosmus Ristolainen, that's kind of been like a pairing even before training camp started, like just, you know, tying two and two together. That was kind of expected to be, at least from my standpoint, the top pair going into this year. 
And then Travis Sanheim moving over to the right side, like that's really opened up some things in terms of who would be playing with him. Because obviously they have an abundance of left shot guys, whether it be Igor Zamula, Nick Sealer, uh, Mark Stahl, Emil Andre, Adam Ginning, Victor Mete. But now we're going into like the AHL talent guys. But Sanheim moving to the right really opened up a plethora of options here. And it looks like maybe we're going to see Zamula, which is a really cool opportunity for him. Obviously, Ivan Provorov moving on from the team opens up that spot in the top four on that left side. And there's going to be a need for a guy who can give some PK minutes, a guy who could be maybe a low event steadying presence. So assuming that all things remain equal, it seems like our top four is going to look something like uh, Cam York, Rosmus Ristolainen, Igor Zamula, Travis Sanheim. And then that third pair, you think it's Sean Walker and Mark Stahl there? I think Walker will play regardless, as he should. I think he's going to come in and kind of be like that Justin Braun type. And I think he's a guy, right shot defenseman, who could probably get you a Justin Braun-esque return like we saw at the 2022 trade deadline from the New York Rangers. I believe they got a third-round pick from them. Mm -hmm. And then on the left... 28, but yeah, much younger. Yeah, much younger. I think at this point is a better player than Justin Braun was the last 24 months. Aside from that, Mark Stoll, Nick Sealer, if Feels like Stahl has the inside track, but at the same time, Nick Sealer obviously was in a lot of good graces of the coaches, probably in management to some extent. But I think it's going to probably be like some rotating cast of Sealer and um, Mark Stahl on that bottom pairing. Aside from uh, beside Sean Walker, I just think that Sean Walker will be in most nights, barring like a bad dip in play. Yeah, when you're already moving a left shot guy to the right side on your second pair with Sanheim, you're going to need another right shot in there ideally yeah. and so I, I i agree with you i think that that's probably what's what's in the works i i i tend to think that adam jenning and and adder will be sent down and they'll start their year with the phantoms and they'll go from there you know part of the reason that fourth line i think amp became so easy to go paling delarier and hathaway was that you know elliot denoy just didn't have a great camp didn't have a good week of hockey at torts i think yesterday before the game talked about a player that didn't have a good week told him it was just a wasn't a great week of hockey and got sent down probably earlier than he than he wanted to. And I had to I had to think that he was referring to, to Denoye because it doesn't erase the 23 goals, the rookie record he set last year and led the Phantoms in scoring. He just didn't have a great week of camp. And that's not the end of the world. It all in all, it's still one week of hockey in a very long season. Yeah, and he's going to go down in Lehigh and get a chance, presumably, to be your top-line center because there's not a lot of competition down there, whether that be John Randall Avon, whether that be Rhett Gardner, I guess Adam Brooks is a center as well, but like, what guys is Elliot Denway really going to be competing with to be one of the top guys, if not the top centers, in Lehigh, as opposed to playing in the NHL and his ceiling, even if he had a good camp, was always going to be the 4C, maybe you push Ryan Paling to the 13th forward status, but that would have had to see him leapfrog even a guy like Wade Allison. So, I mean, I'm not worried about it. I think that over the next several years, we're going to see a lot of change at that center ice position. What ultimately happens with Morgan Frost? How does Sean Couturier's body hold up? Where does Noah Cates ultimately fall in that two or that three hole? Is Delia Denway more than a bottom line centerman who could just give you good PK minutes? But there's a lot of opportunity here because there isn't a lot of guys in their system, even in WHL or the NCAA or the the CHL as a whole or overseas, 
there aren't a lot of high ranking center prospects here. Like and you have Cutter That yeah, if they want to move him to the center position, I think he'd be better off maybe to put bring him into the league at least as a winger. And then you know Michkov was playing a little bit of center, but um, you know he's just so dangerous on the wing, and he's his hair is absolutely on fire right now. <laughs> like he is just playing unbelievable. He goes against the team that loaned him out yesterday, and basically middle fingered Rottenberg, who was scratching him from the lineup or playing him six minutes a night, and just he's been unreal. His numbers and and everything else, um, one point two five points per game in the eight games he's played this year for a draft plus one player. That's unbelievable in the KHL. Uh, let's talk about the big storyline because, you know, I see it out there on social media and that a lot of people, Torch talked about this last night post game too. It's a lot of people's impression that it's Brink versus Forster. And, you know, I, I said on Flyers Daily, they just got to be careful with that direct comparison because you can't discount what Forster did at the NHL level, level last year. You can't discount that Bobby Brink missed half the season last year. Yeah, Brink's been the the better player in camp, but you also have to take that with a certain grain of salt. And it's not just as simple as Brink or Forster. I mean, you could keep both of them and make some tough decisions otherwhere, other places in your offensive lineup. Uh, but, you know, I can see it now if, if Brink doesn't start the year with the team. Oh, here go the Flyers again, taking old guys. Look, there's no rush <laughs> in this rebuild right now. There's not. And if you want to put Brink with the Phantoms to start, I don't think that's the worst thing in the world. He's played great. I've enjoyed watching him, both with the puck, without the puck. He's making shit happen. But I I, I don't think it's a, an either-or in this scenario. No, and let's be real. Like, Would it be completely out of the realm of possibilities that they alternate in the lineup for the first couple games and maybe Wade Allison hits the waiver wire or, or is moved in another capacity? I know that forward. a lot of people are kind of pointing at, you know, why'd you sign Garnet Hathaway? He's a right wing. You could have freed up that spot. You know, why'd you sign uh, Ryan Paling? You could have moved Scott Lawton to that centerized position and freed up another spot on the wing. But then you would have had to see Forster or Brink or someone else shift over to that left wing spot. I think I saw Charlie O'Connor suggest, you know, scratch Nick Delorier, which I know even if you think it should happen, it's not going to. I think we know that Nick Delorier is going to be playing every night if he's healthy and move Scott Lawton down to that left wing spot. Like they do have options. I just feel like if they want to play brink or forster it has to be at their natural position and in the top nine totally which i would imagine they're vying for that spot beside noah cates and scott lawton if i'm not mistaken because isn't the third line or the second line whichever way you kind of jumble it is it not faraby frost and atkinson well last night it started with couturier um faraby and konechny and then they moved brink up last night but this is preseason like you know combinations they're they're looking to see what works with each other you know so i don't think we can read too much into the lines this time of year um but yeah i mean atkinson at points has started on the third line essentially i don't even know that we're going to have a one two or three bonafide situation either i think it's gonna be night dependent yeah and it's gonna be like i would imagine like if you try and base it just off talent like i know earlier in camp they had Tippett with katori and konechny Mm -hmm. I would imagine that would kind of be your first line if, you know, you're really... I like Tippett with Frost. 
but sorry, what's that? I like tip it with frost. Yeah, Tippett with Frost, and they've had chemistry going all the way back to when mm-hmm. Tippett showed up in 2022 at the trade deadline. Yeah, But Tippett's going to be playing his off wing. So who would be on the other side? And then would you have three right shots on a line? If not, then you would maybe have to shift another guy to left wing. I don't know. They they have options here. Maybe you have Farabee play on his offside, but then again, it kind of upsets the apple cart. So I mean, they they have some good options depending on who is going to be playing between Brink and Forster. Like you said, is it directly them? No, not necessarily. They could carry both. They could scratch a paling or whatever, but it does feel like those two are kind of vying for a similar spot in the lineup. And a similar role. Well, yeah, for sure. Yeah. And I do believe that in some capacity, we're, we may probably see these guys vying for second power play opportunities. Yeah, and, you know, Forster has that pedigree of, as a first-round pick in 2020. To your point, did impress at the NHL level six months ago or whatever. But you also have to stay consistent on rewarding guys based on merit. So this is a good problem to have. It's a yeah. very good problem to have. It just is unfortunate if, let's say, your guy like Wade Allison, who kind of becoming apparent that he's going to be one of the guys on the outside looking in. Yeah, I don't know if they, they waive Wade because I think that he's a guy that would have a good chance of being claimed. Um, but I could see him being the extra forward. I could definitely see that happening. Yeah, and he's a guy that, let's say they were, let's just say for argument's sake, that rumored Ottawa deal would ever come to fruition. Wouldn't shock me if Wade Allison was a guy going the other way. Just. Yeah. Based on conversations I've had, even as early as this morning, like it feels like he's someone that if they have to move a body to make a trade work or whatever, I don't feel like he's part of their future anymore. It, it just think- it's unfortunate, but I think the Garnet Hathaway signing was indicative of that as well. Yeah, and I think you know the the key though with anything with Ottawa is the cap situation because they're looking to to open up some space. Let's talk about the latest on that because I know I got a couple of uh, tweets about that, about Ottawa. I mean, we're getting close to when everybody has to cut their roster down. It has to be Monday at 5 p.m. for each team to be compliant um, with their roster cut down, obviously cap compliant and everything that goes with it. Uh, what is the latest on Ottawa? I know the Flyers uh, have been mentioned a few times around this, and I've seen some of your reporting as well uh, around Pinto and the whole thing with Ottawa. What's the latest? Well, the latest is that the Flyers haven't heard back from Ottawa as of this morning. They've heard nothing as Ottawa looks to explore all avenues. Um, I could tell you that, as I reported, and I think Elliot Friedman followed up with it as well. I think Crediting you, going, by the way. Good job by him. No, thank you. Yeah, yeah, good, nice of uh, Elliot to name drop me on 32 Thoughts. Obviously a flattering moment, but I guess it was about a week and a half ago now that I reported it and I spoke to some with the Flyers today that, you know, Ottawa did inform the Flyers that other teams were <laughs> asking a first round pick for, to take on the contract of Matthew Joseph to three more years at $2.95 million. The Flyers told them based on what I've heard is that they could work around that. Maybe it didn't have to be a first round pick, but maybe it could be a second round pick plus a prospect to make the value into a first round pick type. But I also think that we've heard or that we have heard the likes of Elliot Friedman suggested. It was also mentioned on the fourth period.com by Dave Pagnota 
that maybe the Ottawa Senators look to explore moving in Eric Brandstrom, a guy who has one year left on his contract at $2 million. If you're moving Brandstrom, you probably don't have to attach an asset to it. You could probably make a trade work regardless. Former first-round pick of the Vegas Golden Knights ended up in Ottawa via the Mark Stone trade. Probably is your third-pairing defenseman in Ottawa because you have three left-shot guys in front of him in Chikrin, Shabbat, and Sanderson. Shabbat having to move over to the right side. Now, I asked another general manager uh, in uh, like throughout the league about this earlier today, and he told me that it would probably be a late-round pick Ottawa would be looking for for Eric Branson or a younger guy that they could bury his entire contract in the, in the, uh, in the minors. I spoke to someone with the Flyers about that, and the name that came up to me was Wade Allison. So I don't know if Ottawa would do this, if that it would be, you know, Wade Allison for Eric Branstrom. Like I said, the Flyers in Ottawa haven't talked in some time. But I do think if Ottawa were to circle back and pitch a name like Eric Branstrom to the Flyers, I think that maybe the Flyers would be willing to part with a Wade Allison to potentially make it work. Make it work for both teams. Um, let's get to some of the Twitter questions that came in, Hamp, because uh, there's some good ones here. Let's start with uh, at 207 Steel. He says, uh, are the Flyers fans media underrating Sean Walker because he's played on the West Coast for his entire career? He strikes me as a good four or five that can QB PP2 and probably bring in the highest return of their expiring contracts at the trade deadline. Um, I mean, I don't know about PP2. I think P1, when you're looking at the demand for that, is going to be Cam York on the top power play unit as the sole defenseman in that situation. I think PP2 where you maybe tend to go 2D guys a little bit more often is probably going to be Rasmus Ristolainen. And, uh, I mean, maybe you you could go Igor Zamula there. You could go – You're not going to put two right shots out there is what I'm saying. Maybe Sanheim. Yeah. Yeah, so – Then you're moving Sanheim to the right side or the left side route. Yeah, I mean, you could do that. Yeah, and, like, I think Sean Walker, like, define underrated. Like, do we think that he's going to come in here? Like, I think for people who thought that he would be behind Sealer and Mark Stahl were underrating him, that he was an interchangeable guy with those. But I think... just the right shot, so it doesn't even really fit. Yeah, and I think that elevates his value. And I do think he was a quality defenseman for for the LA Kings over the last several years. I again, like, I don't mean to compare him to Justin Braun, but he's kind of like a peak Justin Braun, maybe a bit inferior that could give you like good five. I would rank him mostly as a five, but I do think that he's someone that when the trade deadline comes around, depending on how this upcoming season goes, he will probably garner some value because teams are always looking for depth blue liners and specifically right shot defensemen. We saw how coveted Luke Shen was at last year's trade deadline uh-huh. before ultimately ended up in Toronto. Well, the thing is, too, you know, a lot of people saying, well, you can you don't need to play Sean Walker. You don't need to play Mark Stahl, but you can flip them. You got to play them to flip them. (laughs) You know, I I think there's going to be a line of demarcation in the season at the trade deadline. You know, I don't think Stahl is going to play every night, but you have to play him if you want to create value for him in a playoff run. This is a guy who's put 1,200 games in the league. Stahl played 21 playoff games last year, was a big part of that Florida run. And. You know, he'll be able to fetch you something at the deadline, too. But he's got to be playing and playing relatively well for you to be able to do that. 
he's an easy guy to fit on any, any NHL roster because of his contract and he's on a one-year deal. So I think that's one thing. You know, the, the notion in, in this kind of in the rebuild and for a lot of fans is just play the kids. Well, you want to play the kids where they're going to develop the best for the long term. And that the, the NHL is a really unforgiving league. Ant. <laughs> and, you know, it's better to play more minutes and have more success at, a, at the AHL level, the second best league in the world, than it is to play nine minutes at the NHL level and look overwhelmed at points, isn't it? I think we saw that with Zamula last season. Yeah, well, it's also that the Flyers didn't get a lot of graduations this year, right? I think the only graduation they got was Avon Randall. If I'm not mistaken, he's coming off of a pretty gruesome injury, is he not? J.R. Avon, yeah. Yeah, J.R. Sorry, J.R. Avon. Sorry for butchering mm-hmm. that name. But um, I, I think that a lot of people are just expecting it because it's like the second unofficial year of the rebuild, but the first official year of the rebuild where you just want to see all these young guys. But who was really ready to make that jump? Like, I guess Emil Andre was the one who made the most significant case. And I would be shocked if we don't see him up with the team between now and the trade deadline, or maybe slightly beyond that. Maybe a Ronnie Adderd as well. I think Adam Jenning has probably been the defenseman to make the most impact out of kind of left field, right? Like no one was really expecting him to be this, like not to say that he's been like outstanding, but I think you look at Adam Jenning and you're saying, wow, he can maybe take over from a sealer and a, and a Mark Stahl in that bottom pair role next year. So Maybe on the defense, I get it a bit, but up front, like, save for Elliot Denoyer, like, I can't see or pinpoint anyone aside from Brink and Forster, but there's a chance that both those guys make it. Certainly one of them will, but I can't really see anyone at the pro level right now who isn't still overseas or with their respective college or junior team that should be playing. Like, all the young guys that are at the pro level right now that should be playing pretty much are. Like, I know everyone wants to see Adderd and wants to see Andre and wants to see Denye right away, but that doesn't always mean that it's the best for their development. Like, even Andre and Ronnie Adderd, like, both of those guys will be the top two guys with the Phantoms, presumably, I guess, paired with the likes of, I would assume, on the Victor Mete will be in there as well and yeah, on the and right Jimmy. side. Adam, yeah, and Jenning, Adam Jennings, Mete, and, and Andre probably because Mete's a right shot. Yeah, exactly. So Mete with maybe Adderd and Jenning with Andre. or Do they have another right shot down there? Uh, well, you have Adderd on the right side with Jenning. They played together a lot last year. Played together last night too. Um, Ethan and then Sampson have, made the jump too. Yeah. And then you have – you can play Emil Andre on the left side with Victor Mete. Yeah. A little exactly. undersized there, but – because yeah, Messi's not very big, and obviously Andre isn't. Let's talk about Emil Andre because, you know, the other night in the game against the Devils at home, you know, he, in that game, he, he I thought he was really good in the game. He made a, a big mistake, you know, being the high point man, getting that shot block two-on-one the other way. Devils go down on the two-on-one. Then he takes his feet out of the equation. He slides, and they get the pass through. It ends up in the back of the net. But – Making that mistake, Jesus Christ, these guys with the fucking lawn, the blower, <laughs> hear you hear him. that, eh? Yeah, um, he makes that mistake, but he didn't abandon his game when he made the mistake. He kept yeah. pushing. And and I just watch him play, and I go, I see just NHL player, t- modern NHL player all over his vision, his awareness. 
are they in my garage now? <laughs> I mean, it might be in my garage, to be honest. Jesus, so well. They don't want me to talk about Andre, but I, I think he's been excellent. I'll mute my mic while you while you talk about Andre. <laughs> no, for sure. Like Emil Andre has just added to a long list of left shot defensemen that they have in their pipeline. And now they move Sanheim over. So that opens up that another spot on the left side in the long term. Obviously, Zamula has it in the interim, presumably, but I would not lock that in as a slam dunk for the foreseeable future at all. And maybe you have Andre pushing a guy like Cam York in the future. Maybe you have a guy that keeps Travis Sanheim over on the right side. Like, to be honest, if Travis Sanheim can adapt well to the right side, and I believe he said he kind of prefers playing the right side, if I'm not mistaken. Offensively, he does. Offensively. Sticks in the middle of the ice. You see the ice from a different angle. Yep. So I and you know obviously we know that he was close to being traded to St. Louis this summer. Had it not been for Tory Krug, he would be a St. Louis Blue right now. But guys like Sanheim and Ristolainen, like they can be valuable for younger left shot guys like a Cam York playing with a Ristolainen and like an Andre playing with a Travis Sanheim. And it wasn't too long ago that we were try- talking about Travis Sanheim in a similar vein as we're now talking about Emil Andre, but. If Emil Andre could get to the NHL sooner rather than later, and you could have a defense structured around a Cam York and an Emil Andre, and at this juncture, like it's kind of looking like Andre may have a higher ceiling than a Cam York, and both are those that modern type NHL defensemen. So if Andre could be even a Cam York level status, if not a bit higher, that defense flipped over quite quickly from the Provorov, Sandheim, Gossespierre years to now the York and Andre years. Yeah, I look at Andre and I go, oh, yeah, he's not the tallest guy in the world, but he's the way he's built. You know, I think he can be successful in board battles because he's got that low center of gravity. He's got a, his lower body is like a fire hydrant. Um, to me, he's one of those guys that, and I just love like the awareness in his game. Like it, find me a time when his head's down. I mean, it's always up and moving and buzzing and evaluating. I think he thinks the game really well. I'm excited about him. You know, we had him on the pod last year when he got up with the Phantoms. He came on one eye. And I remember, you know, texting with uh, Ian LaPerriere, and he just couldn't say enough good things about him, the way he has adapted to the North American game. And I I, I think there's a huge future for him. I really do. You know, Sandheim's interesting, too, because, you know, over the summer, it was about the, the trade that didn't happen. No trade kicks in. And, you know, he, he's a guy that I, I said, you know, they got to get on top of this right away with, you know, meetings with him and get on the same page and come to find out when camp started that there was a lot of conversations over the summer and an understanding and a way to move that relationship forward. He also came in with about 16 pounds more muscle. He looks considerably thicker. Now, he's not going to put guys through the boards. I'm not suggesting he's going to become the super physical player, but he looks like he put in the work in the gym this summer. He looks a lot thicker upstairs and a lot stronger, or maybe he got pushed around a little bit in board battles before that could help him. Um, let's get to another question here that uh, came in via Twitter. Uh, Eric says, what's the latest on the Flyers? Sends talks, Sends must make the decision soon to go to the cap. How many other teams of Flyers have offered to help? And hypothetically, if the deal went through with the Flyers acquired, Matthew Joseph, how would that further complicate the lineup? You kind of talked about this already, Ant. Um, you know, one of the things that was mentioned kind of right away, I'll build off his question, was – Hey, Pinto for Morgan Frost, <laughs> but you know, Pinto is more of a, a torts type player, but I, I just don't see that in the offense. 
No, I, I think that the, and you know, it's been well documented at this point, but I think Pinto is someone that the senators want to move forward with. Agreed. Now, and f- as far as the Matthew Joseph stuff, again, if the senators are to circle back, maybe that involves moving out of Wade Allison. And then Matthew Joseph who would probably be better served to be a 13 forward than a guy like Wade Allison, probably someone who knows his role more. Even if he's in the lineup, he's at best like a high-end fourth liner. And there will be injuries, so he will get in. But I think maybe Allison is kind of expecting more with more tread left on the tire and maybe some more untapped potential. But again, that's a three-year contract at $2.95 million. I know that the Flyers would be getting assets and being compensated to, (coughs) pardon me, take on that contract. But at the same time, you also have to remember what that contract is and why they would be getting compensation. You know, three years at $2.95 million is a lot of money. That's a lot of money. And especially when you consider that you already have $1.75 million tied up with Nick Delory until 2026 with Garnet Hathaway until 2025, uh, $2.375 million with him. And those are all in a vacuum fine contracts. But when you add them all together, and you're saying, wow, I'm paying, what, almost $7 million for three fourth liners. I think that's where it can maybe get dicey. And not to say that that's a problem now, but maybe next offseason or maybe in 2025's offseason, you're going to be like, you know, we're not rebuilding anymore. Like, that's a long time, like two full seasons away. And then maybe you could get to the 25-26 season. You're just like, man, do we really want Matthew Joseph at almost $3 million? So I think that I get why fans really want this to happen. But you also can't be overzealous if you're the Philadelphia Flyers and be like, oh, yeah, we'll take him for any compensation because you are absorbing a contract of a fourth line t- player for the foreseeable future. Yeah, I totally agree. That That's the thing. We cannot uh, make assessments and uh, in the moment for just the moment. You got to look at the the arc of a rebuild and you don't want to be put in a situation where now you can't get into a certain free agent market if you're in position to do so because of a deal you made three years ago for a fourth line player. You can't tie your own hands. This jigsaw puzzle of the roster on the ice, the, the roster fitting off the ice in the room culturally, the roster fitting from a fiscal standpoint this year, three years and five years with guys like Cutter Gauthier coming, Meechkoff coming, uh, you know, Carter Hart in the final year, you know, guys need to be paid. You got, it's, it's not as simple as right now you can do this. So I, I agree with you. Let's go to uh spider, spider, spider 28. <laughs> he says in a, in a hypothetical scenario where multiple of Forster, Brink and Allison earn spots on the opening night roster. Do you think there's a possibility they either trade a veteran player to try and make room or maybe even consider using a guy like Atkinson as a healthy scratch. We've already addressed the part about trading a player. You've talked about Wade Allison in that potential deal. But as far as making uh, Cam Atkinson a healthy scratch, I'd say there's no chance, no chance of that for a couple of reasons. First and foremost, and I think he's knocked off the rust in his game every session he's he's gotten on the ice. I thought he looked really good last night against the Bruins. Granted, it was the Providence Bruins for the most part. Yeah. But you've seen him initiate contact. Everybody was a little freaked out when he didn't play the first preseason game because they were being cautious. I was too. I'm going, oh, no, we're going to this day-to-day, week-to-week thing again with Cam Atkinson. Is he going to be available? But to me, he's looked like he's got a lot of jump in his legs. And I talked about this on the broadcast last night. Sometimes at his age, 
having an entire year off, you can't just take the back surgery or the, the procedure he had done out of the equation, but his body has had a full recovery period for the, for the first time since squirt. You know what I mean? It can extend a player's career. If the issue was resolved with the surgery, he could get, he, you could see him having a good surge coming off of it just from the fact that he didn't play hockey for a year. And look, I, I get the whole, you know, at Cam Atkinson take up a roster spot because look, he's a middle six right winger and what jobs are Forster and Bring vying for? Yep. Middle six right winger. So I get that. But you have to also ask yourself, and I'm, and this is coming from someone who suggested buying out Cam Atkinson. So I, I'm not like uh, innocent of, you know, suggesting options to get him off the roster. But you also have to ask yourself, and myself included, do you think that Bobby Brink would be playing this well if Cam Atkinson wasn't there? Because if Cam Atkinson wasn't there, it would be Forster and Brink's jobs to lose. Like, okay, yeah, Wade Allison would be fighting. Maybe Lazinski would have a bit more pep in his step, but they would pretty much know that they have the inside track. Because Atkinson is there, and because Forster and Brink are essentially vying for one spot, at least in that middle six capacity, it's probably put more of a pep in the step of a Bobby Brink. Maybe Tyson Forster now sees the way Brink is playing and feels the heat coming up his backside. Like, there is an inherent value of having these veterans on a rebuilding roster. And a Cam Atkinson, he has this year and one more year left of $5.875 million. If he comes back and has a 25-goal, 45-point season, let's say, that's probably someone that you could turn into an asset as opposed to just making him ride the pine for the entire season. Yeah. So, I mean, there are valuable things that come with playing a Cam Atkinson including getting assets via trade and including forcing guys like Brink and Forster to actually earn their spots as opposed to just assuming that it is theirs for the taking. Not to mention culturally. Exactly. Learning and how to be a he's a torts guy. And... Yeah. And just, you know, I mean, he's a guy that I think young players can lean on as, as an undersized guy that made his way in this league, scored north of 30 goals, you know, and did so for John Tortorella. It's not all about block shots and all that. So I think that, Culturally, he can bring a lot to the table as well. And you can't bring those things culturally if you're not playing. Yeah, You have to be a guy that's in the lineup to do that. So I don't think Cam Atkinson is a, is a healthy scratch to start the year or really unless it's maintenance or injury-related or anything is even an option to me. Um, Lee tweets in uh, at FlyersFan1953, says, does Sandstrom go on waivers or is Sandstrom traded to Tampa Bay? Now, we saw Cal Peterson go on waivers today. Presumably, he's going to clear. And the backup goaltender spot, I mean, I thought last night was really indicative of, of where they're going when Arison got the entire game. I think Carter is going to get the entire game on Thursday. Um, I think Felix has had a good camp. I think Felix is a good goalie. But the problem is, it's just that one goal in games that you just can't give up a little leaky goal or one that, you know, the goaltender, as they say, would like to have back. You can't have that. And the coaching staff clearly likes Erson. And you couple that with management liking Erson because they signed him to a contract this summer that they didn't have to do right now. So to me, all the indications are there that it's going to be Hart and Erson. Um, so Sandstrom to me, is probably going to go on waivers. Does he get claimed on waivers? We saw a goalie get claimed last week on waivers. Spencer and Martin. Yeah. Um, 
and obviously he's got one year left on his deal. Does Felix Sandstrom is that the is that a better option for Tampa than Jonas Johansson, who hasn't yes. played very many games? <laughs> I do think so, but I think that there will be a correlation with the Toronto Maple Leafs here because I'm of the belief that they still do like Felix Sandstrom and feel that he could be a decent backup in the NHL. And I think they rather have Felix Sandstrom as their number three in case of injury or whatever than Cal Peterson. I think at this point, Cal Peterson has proven to be an AHL level goaltender as opposed to Felix Sandstrom, who's probably a fringe NHL goaltender. So I wouldn't be shocked in the slightest based on conversations I've had if they try and wait out waving Felix Sandstrom until after Toronto waves either Joseph Wall or Martin Jones, which I imagine will be the latter. And I also think that Tampa Bay would rather go with a Martin Jones, who at least at least has some history of being an, a starter at, for extended periods of time, has experience in a deep... Went to a uh, cup final. Yeah, a cup final. He was the regular season starting goalie for the most part for the Seattle Kraken last year. So I do believe that the Flyers will try and wait this out and put Sandstrom on waivers post-Martin Jones going through waivers, assuming it is Jones and not Joseph Wall. But I wouldn't be shocked if another team took a flyer on Felix Sandstrom. I thought Columbus would be one of them, but now they take this the flyer on Spencer Martin from the Vancouver Canucks. But there's also the Colorado Avalanche. I believe that they're dealing with the injury to Pavel Francois. Yeah. So I don't know if there's a way here that the Flyers could avoid losing Sandstrom because there are several teams with goalie trouble right now. And I don't know what kind of asset you could recoup for Felix Sandstrom. Because these teams know that if they just wait it out, you're going to have to put this guy on waivers eventually. They're not. Yeah, why give something free. up when you, you know you can get it for free? <laughs> well, exactly. If the if let's say the Colorado Avalanche say, yeah, no, we're good. We'll wait it out and we'll just ride. Um, who's their goalie? Georgiev, and I forget who their third goalie is right now. But we'll w- wait it out. The Flyers will eventually put Felix Sandstrom on waivers. Maybe with ter- with Tampa, you could get away with it more trying to play hardball. But again, Toronto's going to have to wave one of their two guys too. And I could, and I really believe that if it's Martin Jones, he probably ends up in Tampa Bay. So I, I don't know how you could try and maximize an asset for Felix Sandstrom. I think you just got to put him on waivers and cross your fingers that someone looks to go in a, in a different direction. There's probably people listening right now. Hold on a second. Evan, I'm doing a podcast. <laughs> Ev, I'm doing a show. Down there firing pucks. Can't hit the fire. <laughs> I'm doing a show. Sheesh. <laughs> um, you know, some people listen, go, oh, it's Felix Sandstrom. He hasn't been anything, you know, who cares, right? That they'll say that, but your goalie depth can change really quick. You can go from being flush at the position to, uh Oh, really fast. There's only six guys basically in your system. You have your two starters at the NHL, two at the AHL and two of the East coast hockey league. And that's basically it. And look, Nolan Meyer came up last year and played a little bit with the phantoms and, and perform decently, but that's not a situation they want to be in. So, um, yeah, I I don't think there's a trade market there, too. I, I agree with you on that. By the way, Joseph Brooks tweets in. Joseph Brooks, PA, it says, are the Maple Leafs the NHL equipment of the Dallas Cowboys without the silverware? Um, since 1967, they are. <laughs> a lot of hype, but not a lot of, not a lot of success. Yeah, obviously they're taking a different approach with tree living at the helm now, bringing Bertuzzi and Max Delmi, which I like. 
I like those additions for those guys, but at least they're doing something moderately different. Obviously, we're going to see what happens with Willie Nylander beyond this year. Obviously, he doesn't have a contract beyond next summer, but uh, I guess they're starting to earn that mantle a bit, but uh, at least they're going in a different direction somewhat management-wise, although Brad, uh, Brendan Shanahan is still the president, so he's still the ultimate decision-maker when push comes to shove. So I guess he's kind of like, He's kind of playing the role of Jerry Jones in this circumstance. Yeah, I guess you're right. Um, let's see. Let's see here. Rob, Robert Connolly uh, tweets in and says, in terms of their, quote, too many young players pushing for a spot as the Flyers manage waivers, should they f- fine? I'm not sure what he said there, but he said, I would see this as two seasons, the pre-deadline season and the post-deadline season, which would see younger players move in full-time in that second half of the season a little bit more. He said, figure Stahl, Walker, and Sealer are traded from the D by the deadline. Lawton, Allison, perhaps Atkinson, and or Konechny moved as well. I like Allison's heart, but his hockey awareness, I think, gives him trouble sticking to a top six or even top nine. But, you know, do you see, like, he mentions Stahl and Walker and Sealer as guys that could be traded. I could see all three of those guys being moved by the deadline should they fall out of it. Uh, as far as Lawton, Allison, and Atkinson or Konechny, I think, I think that's Allison we talked about before, but I think, you know, even two of Lawton, Atkinson, and Konechny being moved is unlikely during this season. Yeah, I mean, but the other thing we have to keep in mind here is, like, who would be coming up on the forwards? Like, we know that there's Andre, there's Adderd, maybe Adam Jinning, too, if he still continues this level of play. Like, there's options you have in Lehigh. You want to bring up a vet in Victor. Mete to tag in for a few games you have those options on the back end if you move on from two or three guys between now and the deadline up front like Forster and Brink okay that's fine to Amala Amala back into the equation yep then you could Lixell I guess as well could come Mm -hmm. up Dan YA I guess depending on what he does but like I don't think any of these guys are closer to the NHL than let's say the likes that they have on the back end and you bring up Lawton and Konechny, like we know how much they value Scott Lawton and Travis Konechny to the yeah. point where they turned down first round picks for Scott Lawton. They traded, I mean, they they turned down big packages for Travis Konechny. I'm pretty sure that he was in Detroit's crosshairs before they ultimately pulled the trigger on Alex Debrinkad. So, I mean, Allison, even if he gets moved on from, then you just kind of open up a 13th forward spot which, I mean, you're not going to call up a Tuamalo or Denoye to be the 13th forward. In that circumstance, you probably would just have like a Rhett Gardner or whatever. Yeah. Atkinson, I don't know what kind of value he would have between now and the deadline. I think maybe that would be more of an off-season type of move. And Konechny, I mean, Konechny and Lawton, they could probably trade if they really wanted to. I just think that they've set that price so high that other teams view it as an overpay. So... I agree on the defense. I'm just not sure they're going to move on from all those impact forwards. And and there's still meat on the contract bone too. Yeah. Teams are, you know, teams looking to grab a guy at the, at the deadline. They're not necessarily looking for guys with meat on the contract. They're looking for that expiring deal. And yeah. that's just, you know, those, those more hockey trades that happen in the off season when a team can reshape their roster. Um, yeah. Pete Nicoletti said, Erson or Hart. Well, I don't even think that's a question. Uh, it's hard, <laughs> hard to start. Um, 
you know, I mean, obviously, let, let, let me ask you about the, the Team Canada report, Ant, because we've heard for months now, years, it seems at this point, about this report. And, you know, any player that was on Team Canada in that World Junior year is still held with some suspicion until the, the final report comes out. What's the latest on it? Honestly, I kind of give up at this point. I mean, <laughs> yeah, even the likes of Frank Saravalli was suggesting that it would come down in late July. Then I heard two weeks ago that it would come down within the next two weeks. At this point, I think all of us were kind of bracing for the worst with Carter Hart. And as far as that was concerned, but I really think that now it's just like, you just have to assume that it's going to go dormant until it's not. Because at this point, like they had all summer to do this. They had all summer to take a stab at this. But now you're kind of been put into a position where you just have to assume nothing's going to happen until something does. Because like you said, it's been going on for so long right now that you really can't assume that the hammer is going to drop until it does. Yeah. I think arts had a really good preseason too. He has looked really sharp to me. Um, I think his game looks really in order. So that's a good thing. And they're going to need Google thing. As somebody pointed out in the, in the Twitter comments that, uh, um, when it comes to goaltending, Paul F said Hart is a top goalie in the league with a good defense. People don't realize how much the defense affects a goalie. Oh, uh, it does. He'll, he said he'll be mediocre with this defense. So, you know, yeah. I mean, I, I talk about environment when it comes to goaltending all the time. It's it's a huge element of it, and you know, we'll see what kind of structure he does have in front of him. You know, last year he didn't play a single preseason game. Didn't play a second in preseason. He started out the year 6-0-2 with a 9.46 percentage, which kind of defied odds. Uh, but he got in one already this year, and we'll see if he gets into the final one as well. Uh, Notorious PIG says, would a coach or GM ever be progressive enough to ice two third lines? You could keep up more skilled kids. Well, that's that's good in theory, Notorious PIG. The problem is, is are you expanding the amount of minutes that are played in a game? <laughs> you know what I mean? It's not a question. Look, we I think we've seen some teams don't have that just super pronounced top line and have a, have basically three number two slash three lines. Like I think Vegas was that way in their inaugural year. I don't think they had a, like a, a defined fourth line. I think they had two number three lines and two number two lines. And that, that balance can help you in the playoffs, but no, it's it's a question. There's only so many minutes to go around, and how you deploy your team. It's it's not progressive in thinking, I don't think, but it's just the game is 60 minutes. You only have 60 minutes to parse out amongst 12 forwards. Yeah, and I think that you know you even have some people that will say like, oh, you know, Ryan Paling is blocking, you know, a kid, or Garnet Hathaway is blocking a kid. Like, do you want these guys to come up and play fourth line minutes with Nick Deloria? Like you need, like, I think they tried that last year with the likes of Allison and Lazinski and it didn't work. And I do think that there is a, a value to having a consistent fourth line and role players that are going to come in and not be chomping at the bit to get second line power play time or fight their way into the top nine or the top six. So, I mean, you don't always want to have just skill throughout your lineup. You need to have something to compensate that skill. Look at the teams that win the cup. Yeah, exactly. There's teams with tons of skill that get bounced in the first round every year. You have to have all that. Like, I get this DMs from this guy on Twitter all the time. Uh, this guy, his name, I'm, I'm going to put his name out there. I don't give a shit. He DM me. 
um, Matt Conran. He, he's so illogical. Mm-hmm. I think I've read some of his stuff before. Like he texted me at one point, Carter Hart for Quentin Byfield. Uh, who says no, LA or the five, blah, blah, just this innocuous thing. So he sends me this DM last night and it says, the Flyers should sign Wayne Simmons for the fourth line. Wayne Simmons. <laughs> I, I go, why? I said, I love Wayne. He is He's totally cooked and has been for two years. He didn't have a tenth of a step to lose in his skating, and he's lost a ton. And he said, because he's still tough. I'm not asking him to be a top six guy. Just play a fourth line role instead of having a team full of pansies. So my response to him was, you think Delarier and Hathaway are pansies? No response. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you kind of, you, you basically got, if you wanted to get tough guys. Tell me you know you, nothing about the Flyers without telling me you know nothing about the Flyers. <laughs> you, right. like, if you want tough guys that can play, you pro, you pretty much got the two best tough guys that can play in the NHL. Yeah. Like, especially Garnet Hathaway. Like, Garnet Hathaway could probably be a passable third liner on some teams, mm-hmm. and he's tough as nails. Nick Delory is a fourth liner every day of the week, but he's tough as nails and he can give you responsible defensive shifts and give you some time on the PK. Wayne Simmons couldn't crack the fourth line of the The Toronto Maple Leafs last year that had the (laughs) likes of like Sam Lafferty on it. And they had to go Mm -hmm. out and get Lafferty and Nola Chari to buff it out. Like they have not had good depth for like, I would say, up until last year, depth forward was always their biggest weak spot. And Wayne Simmons couldn't help in that department. So, no, Wayne Simmons is not the answer. Yeah, and they went out to go get Ryan Reeves to plug that hole. And Ryan Reeves can't really give you an everyday shift in the NHL right now. Yeah. Wayne, I mean, we love Wayne. He's he's washed at this point, though. Yeah. And, you know, guarded Hathaway. I was talking to Scott Lawton one day at camp. And he was saying playing against that dude was just, He's like, it was a nightmare. Like, he just keeps coming. He drives opponents crazy. He said, yeah. I'd be just chirping him, and he'd be just coming, just relentless, total pain in the ass to play against. Uh, so I think people are going to learn to like him. All right, last thing, in, and we'll get out of here on this one. Tim Tobin said, I'd like to hear each of you with a bold prediction for the season. Do you have a bold prediction for the 23-24 season? Bold prediction. Like, I mean, you could go like, oh, and Tippett's going to score 30. Well, he scored 27 last year. Is that really that yeah, bad? Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like a bold prediction. Hmm. That's very interesting, honestly. Um, Because bold is, it's subjective, right? Like you said, like I could say something and someone else could be like, oh, well, I knew that it was, you know what I mean? Yeah. I'm, I think... I think we're going to see Morgan Frost solidify himself as a top six center. I was just going to say Morgan Frost has 65 points. Yeah, no, like <laughs> because I think that he knows his back is up against the wall, mm-hmm. but there are still important people in that organization who believe in him, just as much as there's important people in that organization who don't believe in him. And I think that he knows that he has a shot for the taking here where he has no one to really compete with in terms of his skill set coupled with his position, but that could change really fast. You know, he essentially is a guy that still has a chance to be an offensive point producer in this league and is still a developing player with this team. 
And he has basically up until Cutter Gauthier shows up or they draft a, a centerman with top six pedigree to figure that out and show them. Like he has to be the, he has to benefit from the circumstance that he's in, that he has no one really pushing him. And maybe that's why John Tortorella is okay with giving him another kick at the can. But he said it, that if Morgan Frost isn't in your top six, why is he in your lineup? And I would concur yeah. with that. But, yeah, you know, I guy that has to drive offense. He has to. Yeah. And, and you know, even Sean Katori, who I would imagine is your slam dunk first line center all season long, Morgan Frost should be looking at this and saying, you know what? They, like, he hasn't played hockey in two years. There's no Claude Giroux here anymore. There's no Jake Vorchick anymore. Like, Sean Katori doesn't have those level of wingers to play with anymore. So his goal should be being the first line center for this team. I don't think he'll get there. But I do think that the second line center spot is very attainable for him for the foreseeable future. But his goal should be the first line center spot just based on his skill set, his age. You know, even Noah Cates, who we know is in the very good graces of John Tortorella and will be here for a long time. What's Noah Cates' ceiling? A very, very good third liner. So, yeah, I'm saying that Morgan Frost, yeah, let's say a 60-point season. I I think that Noah Cates, if you want to look, kind of for another bold prediction you know we saw some offense when he first came into the nhl as a winger and then last year some of the offense in particular through the first 60 games wasn't there because he's you know learning the center position and there's a you know facing the guys the, the opposition's top line every night i think that Noah Kate, there's more offense there even at center um and i think if sean couturier is there and stays healthy all season i think each of those two guys help each other because they're not tasked with the top line individually every night and they yeah. can kind of use both of them. And I think it also opens up Noah Cates for a little bit more offense. He had 13 goals last year. I'll say that Noah Cates gets 20 goals this year. Oh, that'd That's be a very prediction. good season for him. Yeah. Um, yeah. Dylan says that Frost is due for a breakout season. He had a breakout final 55 last year. He led the Flyers in scoring in the final 55 games of the year last year. Frost ended up with uh, 19 goals, 27 assists, 46 points in 81 games played. The only game he missed was that one in Toronto where he's healthy scratch. So, yeah, um, yeah, I think he's a player a lot of us will be looking at. And uh, Kate, uh, K Red Sugar says the Flyers win 33 plus games. They won 31 last year. So the is that rec- like a bold prediction, though? Yeah, I mean like- that's two more wins than they had a year ago, and you have Atkinson and Couturier back. Well, like for me, it's like let's say they even win 35. Like not including any overtime losses that gives you 70 points on the year. I don't think it's a bold prediction that the Flyers could have at least 70 points this year. No, they'll probably be close to, I think their over under is 80 and a half. I think, is it? Let me look. Let me look at the NHL point futures. I I thought that, um, what's his name? Um, Butcher Grass saved it out that it was like 76 and a half. 70 oh yeah like okay so at least 75 so like no i I mean but again that's just what i just said like bold prediction is very subjective yeah like i don't i don't think it's bold to say that the flyers will have 75 points this year so vegas has them at yeah 76 and a half they have columbus below them at 72 and a half who's the lowest montreal canadians in the entire league um oh in the entire league chicago yeah. yeah chicago 71 and a half i see uh 
Anaheim 67 and a half. San Jose 66 and a half. Um, trying to see who else is at the bottom. Of Coyotes. The yeah, I'm sure they're down there too. The Islanders at 92 and a half. I think that's an under, by the way. Um, yeah, Montreal 70 and a half. So, okay. One of the Boston yeah, Bruins this year. Oof. They could have one of the biggest drops from year to year playoff or regular season points and still make the playoffs based on last year. Yeah. They lost a lot of guys. So, well, all I'm saying is that uh, as far as Morgan Frost goes, I think he should be shooting high this year in terms yep. of like where he should be looking to be in the lineup. Yeah. The Arizona is actually 73 and a half, two ahead of the Blackhawks. Do you see so, that they put listed Bedard as number 48 in the top 50 players in the league right now? I think on an NHL network. Yeah, uh, he was. He also cracked the top 50 in TSN's top uh, top 50 players. I don't know if that's – look, he's going to be great. <laughs> There's no doubt about it. I guess you have to put him on there. Um, Dylan says, my bold prediction is Garnet Hathaway will become a fan favorite quickly. Is he one of the best fourth line? Yeah, absolutely. People are going to love the way he plays. See, again, I don't think that's a bold prediction. Me neither. I think that's obvious. Yeah, like so again, it's a very subjective bold prediction. But no, I do agree with uh, what whoever I forget your name. I'm sorry, Dylan. Dylan. But um, yeah, no, I, I agree. I think he'll become a fan favorite because I think Delory became a fan favorite in some ways, but Garnet Hathaway is legitimately one of the best fourth liners in the NHL. Yeah, so. agreed. All right, now let's wrap it up there. Uh, make sure you go to uh, thefourthperiod.com. You can read Ann's stuff there, Dave Panyota stuff. Uh, great great coverage of uh, the entire league, including the Flyers. Follow Ant on Twitter at ADemarco25. And uh, we'll be back next week. We'll get final cuts, I guess, on Monday. We'll find out what this roster is going to look like, all leading up to a week from Thursday, the NHL season opener for the Flyers against the Columbus Blue Jackets in Columbus. No Mike Babcock. <laughs> what a shit show that was uh, but everybody thanks for listening thanks for watching leave us a five star rating and a review we'll talk to you next time on stick to hockey live have a great day everybody okay.